Hey, this is Angel Donovan with Dating Skills Podcast. Today we're exploring sexuality a bit more. So whether it be your partners or casual relationships, you can always be pushing the edge on your sexuality, exploring it further to stop it getting boring. So one of the things that's happened more recently is that BDSM has kind of come from the fringe to a bit more mainstream, thanks to the internet where it's discussed more. And of course it's depicted in porn a lot more as well. So that it gives it more exposure, gives it more attention, and more people get into it or try it out. And in sex shops also, you'll find the toys related to BDSM. So you start to get more exposure to it and it has become a bit more of a mainstream thing. Of course, the film Fifty Shades of Grey has helped with this, as have the books. So I've been meaning to do an episode on this for a little while and I wanted to make sure that it was a practical episode. So I hunted down a guest to talk about it practically. And the person I found is Lee Harrington. Lee Harrington has authored a book on the subject pretty recently with co-author Molina Williams. And he has been a longtime sexuality blogger and explorer himself. But this book that he wrote, it's called Playing Well With Others, Your Field Guide to Discovering, Navigating and Exploring the Kink, Lever and BDSM Communities, has got a lot of positive reviews and recommendations from the BDSM and sex positive communities. So I think it was the ideal person to talk to about is get a practical perspective, especially if it's kind of new to you, learn how to take your first steps and get involved with it or start talking about it in your relationships. To get the show notes, interview transcript and everything else, as usual, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast. If you want to get that in your inbox every time we put out an episode, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, put your email in there and it will magically appear in your inbox each week. Now let's get into this interview. I'm Angel Donovan, and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships, to become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode. Lee, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. So we haven't ever talked about this topic before, so I'm pretty excited about it. It's a bit more of a niche topic, but obviously you've got a book out there which is doing really well and a lot of people really appreciate it. So when I heard about that, I wanted to get you on the show. I'm excited to be here because even though people think that kinky sex and BDSM is a niche topic, the reality is a lot of people are engaging in things that get labeled as kinky in their day-to-day sex lives but don't think about it that way. The number of men I know who like a little bit of ass slapping or hair pulling in their sex life is pretty phenomenally large of a category. They just don't think about it as kinky sex, nor should they need to. But I think it's something that we can open up a dialogue around and get more passionate and involved with if we want to. Absolutely, absolutely. Before we get into the main topic today, let's just understand where you're coming from. Currently, what kind of relationship are you in? Where are you at in your own life? Where is dating, sex, and relationships? 
I'm in a fantastic monogamous relationship with a wonderful woman who I've loved for a number of years. And uh, we live together in a house up in Anchorage, Alaska with our two big fluffy dogs. In the past, I've had uh, relationships with a variety of people of all genders, but I've made a really wonderful decision to be with her and we're incredibly happy. That's great. Great to hear. How old are you? I'm 35 years old, though people who meet me sometimes, they pinpoint me all across the age range. I get carded by people and assume that I'm 50, so people never know where to put me. <laughs> it's pretty cool when they assume you're much younger. Uh, we, I think everyone appreciates that. It's kind of Even fun. Even if they're lying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of the whole BDSM kink area, how did you get into it? What's kind of sparked your interest in this area? It's one of those funny little things, but when I was seven years old, I found my father's porn collection and it had lots of pictures of women in like thigh high, you know, like PVC boots that were really sexy. And there was a story in there that really caught my attention about somebody who had a number of friends that they were doing stuff with. And I went, oh, when I grow up, I want friends who want me to be happy because this was these were friends helping this girl make her dreams come true, this 18-year-old girl. And I liked that idea of friends who would make friends happy. And so for me, the kinky sex didn't come first. What came first was that idea of friends who helped friends. And so the kinky sex community drew me first, and then the actual behaviors were secondary to me. So was that kind of online? You started exploring the online forums and stuff and learning about it? Or how did that work? When I first started getting engaged, it was in the mid-90s. And that idea of exploring online, all we had was bulletin board systems. And that wasn't quite where I was coming from. And instead, it was meeting people who, through luck of the draw, happened to be in what was referred what is referred to as the leather community which is a subset of that umbrella of kink so kink is this term that is everything from BDSM which is bondage and discipline sadism and masochism and then the DS is dominance and submission and, but it's more than that it's also people who have like fetish clothing or cross-dressing, people who like exhibitionism, or watching people, people who, like, it's a broad category of all kinds of stuff outside the norm. But leather is about uh, not just leather clothing, but it's people who believe in engaging with others in an honorable and hot and sexy way from a place of a specific culture that started out in the leather bars. And I happened to have my first person that I dated be part of that community. And when I told them about this magazine I'd read when I was young, they said, oh, I have some people you should meet. So that's how I first got engaged back in 95 with someone. Great, great. Yeah. I guess we should provide an overview because you've got to describe. So at the highest level, it's kink, right? We put everything else under kink, under the umbrella of, of kink. Absolutely. And then you said the, there's BDSM, which is one subset, and leather. These aren't these don't connect. These are kind of separate categories or like subcultures. Yeah, they are. And there are people that I've met who in kink, like in the kinky stuff, all they're interested in. My girlfriend is like this actually. Her main kink is perfectly matching lingerie 
pantyhose or stockings, underwear, huge high heel collection. And she feels so sexy getting to go out to parties where she's able to wander around in nothing but her lingerie and beautiful jewelry and have people ogle her. That that is so sexy to her and it turns her on to then go home and have us have great sex. And I love that that's what she's really, really into. While I, one of my main things is bondage, which is restraining someone or decorating them with rope, leather or chain and having them either, you know, pull on the ropes or having somebody tied down to a bed when we're having sex. That's what's really hot to me. And so you'll have people who say, I'm kinky, but you don't know what that means until you ask them. So it's pretty specific to each person, I guess you're saying. Like your girlfriend's a real individual. She's unique. It's not like there's a subculture of laundry with jewelry or is there? Well, it would surprise you. It would really surprise you. There are, for example, right now in Chicago every year, there is a conference just for people who like rope bondage. 1,300 people in Chicago who are into nothing but rope bondage. But there's another event that happens that is just for men who like wearing women's clothing. There's another event that's just for people who like wearing leather. There's another event out there just for people who like doing uh, role-playing characters in the bedroom. There's all kinds of groups just for different subsections as well as events and coffees and get-togethers. So there are communities for broad categories or little things. And some people I know love it all who are just like, what I want is to be with you as a person. I'll play anything if it's with you. And there's other people who are like, no, I'm really into this one thing. And I want to find a girl who's into that too, so that we can both enjoy that thing together. It's like guys I know who love hockey and want to find a girlfriend who likes hockey too, so they could both go watch the hockey games. And I know people who do the same thing. It's like, I want a girl who loves wearing thigh-high PVC boots, because I love thigh-high PVC boots, and I don't want her to do it just to put up with me. I want her to like it too. This seems like, obviously, it's becoming something that is a little bit more mainstream since we had the whole Fifty Shades come out. How do you see it? How is it relevant to, we've got a pretty broad audience. You could call it a mainstream audience. So how would you say this topic is relevant to them? I think how kink is relevant to everyone is that kinky sex communities and kinky sex argues that the main thing that matters is consent. Is everyone who is engaging in this thing agreeing to it and not just putting up with it, but happy to do it on some level. Either they're happy to do it because it makes their partner happy, or more than that, they're happy to do it because it makes them happy. Is everybody consenting to this? And so to consent to something, you need to make sure that everybody knows what they're agreeing to. That's what makes it relevant. With Fifty Shades of Grey, it made concepts like bondage or using ice cubes on someone's body or blindfolds an easy conversation point. Which is, that's really very basic stuff. I mean, I feel like who hasn't done that? Yeah. What happens in those books that I found was really interesting was that it puts it in a framework of dominance and submission. 
dominant being somebody who takes control for the length of that scene or scenario or bedroom engagement for the length of that time period says, I am going to be dominant over what we do. And the submissive is somebody who says, I agree to have you be the dominant partner in this. I want to submit or surrender to what you're going to do to me. In the books, they said this is for the entirety of their relationship, but some people have fun just in their bedroom. And so that's where it was different than people going, oh, let's play with a blindfold or play with an ice cube. It added that layer of power and control, which is tricky, though, because it becomes a fine line with abuse. That it can be really confusing to some guys of being like, okay, how do I know whether my girlfriend really wants to be submissive or whether I'm now being a bad guy and I'm going to find out later that she actually didn't want this? Yeah, I can give a personal example of that. I had um, a relationship with a girl who loved me to be dominant and she was the subordinate. And, you know, we had relatively aggressive sex. And then a couple of relationships afterwards, I was with another girl and I mistook something she did in bed. She slapped me um, for, you know, that kind of behavior that I was used to. So I just got into my my role from the the last relationship and she started crying because it, it wasn't okay, And we had to stop and we had to talk about it and everything. So it was like an assumption that I made about how she was. And obviously she was from, it was early on in a relationship. I didn't really understand how, what her type was and everything. And she's really at the other end, a very emotional kind of intimate side rather than into that. So as you brought up earlier, the conversation and the communication seems to be, and the consensus is a key part of this. Oh, and it was mind blowing to me when I first got engaged with, like first got into being with someone because my first person I was with who was into this kinky stuff didn't actually have the notion of consent. It was like, if you're buckled in, you're buckled in to, to do this thing with me. And I was on the submissive side. I was surrendering because I was learning. And I went, okay, I want to experience this stuff. And I handed myself over. So it was from a different framework. But when I came over and started doing stuff on the dominant side, I had somebody who looked at me and said, no, I want us to sit down and talk about what we're both into. And it was mind-blowing to me because I came from a framework where, no, you, you start dating someone and you don't know what they're into and you just kind of wing it. You just know that you're both really into going out to movies and you both have share movies. But to have somebody sit down and say, well, what do you like in the bedroom was mind blowing to me because that's why it's relevant is that I was game to sit down and like, and they were game to sit down and say, oh, do you like blowjobs? What do you like about blowjobs? And my brain was blown because I'd never had those words out loud. Right. And when they asked me, I was like, uh, well, what do I like about them? Um, um, <laughs> well, what kind of blowjob do I like? Uh, well, um, well, like, I guess I like it with a little bit more, more teeth. And uh, because when people are, and I'd never verbalized that and to realize, oh, wait, girls who are a little too like soft and kissy weren't so hot to me. And now suddenly in the bedroom, when I'm with a woman, I can say, oh, can you be just a little firmer there? Oh, now that's really hot. And suddenly I was empowered to do something that got me to have better sex. And it carried over to the rest of my dating life because I now had the power to say, not just here's what I like, but what do you like? Let's both win in this relationship. How do we both get our, not just our needs, but our hotness and our desires met? This is really interesting because 
I often find what happens in life, not just in dating, sex and relationships, that if you take something to an extreme, you often learn skill sets which are really applicable to the norm. So in this situation, we're going to the BDSM and the kink. And, you know, obviously people are, are at different extremes compared to the norm. But because of that, you're forced to learn skills in communication and, and things like this, like on how to navigate that and make sure it's okay for both partners and how to basically learn about each other and learn about where the boundaries are. And of course, this is something we really need in all relationships, but we don't do it enough. So it strikes me as like just something interesting. If someone's opening up sexuality and they're trying to learn about their sexuality, sometimes spent in the BDSM community or around these types of relationships might be useful and very fruitful for their developing, improving their relationships after that. Even if it's not their thing, they decide it's not their thing after all. There's actually one of the things I love about the fact that there are communities out there, because if you just want to enjoy some spanking in the bedroom and maybe grab a pair of leather wrist cuffs to shackle someone to a bed. And I say leather because handcuffs actually or zip or, you know, a cable ties can actually cut in and really injure someone pretty easy. Surprisingly easy, actually. I've had injuries. If you just want to buy some stuff and have fun at home, that's cool. But what I love about finding communities like this is you can go to a conference and it might sound so nerdy, and it is, is you can go to a conference and go to classes on topics that you're interested, like, oh, I want to learn how to spank someone safely. How do I do it without hitting somebody's tailbone? How do I do it? I think it's great. Yeah. You could go to some kinky classes with your sweetie or sweetie and or get ideas for your future sweeties. And then at night, they've got these dungeons, which sound scary, but most oftentimes it's just a couple of pieces of sexy equipment in a big open space and people having fun. Okay, so is this a communal area where people go? It's like a service you pay for? Yeah. So basically a room full of equipment that many people can use? It's a room full of equipment and usually a food area and beverage area over to the side because if you've been having some sweaty fun, you want some beverages afterwards. A little bit of stuff on the side, a social area... And you can just stand around and watch what's happening. And I love watching those things respectfully, right? You're not staring at them. You're just kind of viewing from a distance. Like I'm trying to think of an example, like kind of going to an art gallery, but more, far more interesting. <laughs> and you get to get ideas. I remember going to a play space like this. I love that term play space because you're seeing adults play in their own adventurous ways. And I remember watching a couple who were just so sweet with each other. At first, it looked really extreme to me because I'd walked into this space. It was my very first time. And I was with somebody who I was dating at the time. So it's like I, was, I had somebody's hand to hold. But I walked in surrounded by strangers. And I walked downstairs where the dungeon was. And there was this guy who had a woman tied up in these really fancy ropes and suspended her from the ceiling. I found out later he'd been studying for years. He knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't endangering anyone because when I see people who are like, oh, I saw it once on the internet, no, no, that's, you're risking someone's health there. And he had her up in the air and it looked really scary. Right, right. But then as I was watching, I saw him barely touch her face and brush his fingers through her hair, and then reach down and kiss her, and then touch her lower body. And it was really sweet and really passionately sexy. And I went, okay, I get it. Suddenly I had an empathy for a different type of sexuality than what I had played with already. And I have eventually over the years gotten into that kind of stuff. But even if I hadn't, because I've seen other things where I'm just like, you know what, good for them. 
not my thing. It's kind of like there's certain porn that I've watched over the years where I'm like, oh, I'll pass. Interesting, but no. But it's these spaces that, and some of them are sexy. Some of these spaces, you have to find friends who know friends, right? You get vetted into them. It's just kind of like certain parties, right? You only go to that college party or you only get invited to that one event. If you've known somebody for a really long time, it's your best friend's party. Those things happen. Is that the rule for dungeons in general? Because it strikes me that these, you're talking about these uh, they're public dungeons, right? Are there private dungeons also that people would rent, like a couple would rent for a while just for themselves? Yeah, there are. There's a lot of variety out there. There's ones where if you pay for your yearly membership or your weekend pass or even your one night space, I live in Anchorage, Alaska, and we have a space here where you can come to a party for one night and you pay 30 bucks to get in for the night. And there's a food and snack area and there is these play spaces and social areas and an art gallery, right? That's pretty cool. Right. That's a public one. And that's not a lot of money. No, it's not. 30 bucks per person. You can get in, you have a fun time. And as long as you're respectful, they give you a little tour and you sign a liability waiver at the beginning that basically says, if you hurt yourself, it's not our fault. We'll give you a tour, but don't do anything stupid. Don't hurt yourself or others. Um, which makes sense, right? You're, go- it, you're doing a sport, right? Think of it as if you're going to be going to a gym, you have to sign a liability waiver because you're doing something with your bodies. And it's not the gym's fault if you pull a muscle. It just isn't. So that's how I think of it. It's just like going to the gym. So you have to stretch, you have to warm up before you do something interesting. It's why I love going to a dance, like going dancing before I have hot sex at home. It gets your body stretched and warm up. Same idea. So you go into these spaces, you pay your entry fee, you have fun. There's others, there's a space in Seattle where you have to get a full tour and do an introductory class to understand what's going to even happen there before you can buy a yearly membership. Uh, And then you have to buy a yearly membership. So it's a big commitment. So that's probably for more experienced people. Yes and no. That's a space called the Seattle Sex Positive Community Center. And what I love about their space is that they have a weekly dance night. So you could come and just be on their dance floor with great DJs every Thursday night. But you're surrounded. But if you want to get topless, you can't. And so how many dance clubs can you go to where you can get down to technically nothing and dance naked if you want to, or just show up in your sexy outfit and dance? So there are people who buy their memberships there just to go to the dance floor. And there's other people who go so that they can go to a swinger party where it's focused on sex. And there's other people and sex with number of different people or sex with your single partner, but other people can watch you. So people who like to show off. Yeah, let's clarify one thing. Uh, like, Please. I know, because it's a lot of information. There's so right, many right, types right. out there. So many types. Right, right. So in the dungeons, is there sex going on as well for some people? Or does it depend on the dungeon? Or is it style of BDSM, which actually doesn't involve like the actual sexual act itself? Different parties are different. Some places are based on the laws of the area. So, for example, in Columbus, Ohio of all places, it's perfectly legal to have sex in your dungeons because the health commissioners have come through, made those decisions. Everybody knows what's going on. Nobody cares. For other spaces, the only place available to play is in the back of a local bar, and you can't have sex at a bar. That's illegal. And so it really depends on what space you're in and who's running the space. I know some people who, when they're playing at home, they want their spanking to be spanking time and their sex to be sex time because it's different parts of their brain for them. I know other people who want their spanking 
to lead immediately into sexy time. And I will know some people who in the middle of their sex want to include some spanking while they're having sex. So it really depends on who you're with, what venue you're in, and how the two of you or the entire community engage with each other. Does that make sense? Because it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, it does. I mean, it sounds pretty complicated. So for someone at home who is like, oh, this sounds a little bit interesting. Who do you think this is interesting for to start exploring it a little bit? Who would it make most interest? Are there any signs? Maybe you've seen a lot of kind of like beginners and people who disappear, people who tend to stay and explore it forever. Are there any signs that it's, it's something that is going to be part of you or something interesting to you, useful to you? Absolutely. Some of the trends I see are people who are creative. I find that artists or people who like to go on different types of hikes or watch lots of different types of movies like having a variety of types. Okay, variety. Yeah. Yeah, if you just like a variety of things. Absolutely. So maybe this week you're going to want to enjoy feeding your lover a strawberry. Next week you'll want to cover them with strawberries. The week after that you don't want any strawberries at all. This could be a fun thing to do. It's more variety. Another one I see is a lot of people who enjoy extreme sports or physical activities. So people who love the adrenaline rush of going skydiving or adventure backpacking, or if you're not on the physical side, people who love going to sports gaming, getting their heart racing, any of those exciting things, this is a thrill-seeking opportunity. And so I have a friend of mine who's a big NASCAR guy. And he loves being dominant over this pair of women that he knows who love getting to have their little bit of bisexuality with each other. But he gets to have that control and that adrenaline of controlling them. And I'm like, okay, that's fun. He gets to engage that other than in a NASCAR kind of way, that adrenaline. I know a lot of guys who enjoy sensation, physical sensation. So if you love going and and being covered in sweat after a workout and then going out into the cold air, you might be somebody who enjoys receiving physical sensation. And this is another way to get that. And I know other people who maybe have some physical challenges, guys who are in wheelchairs or who have other sorts of mobility or whatever issues who love having an opportunity to have sex that isn't as physical because they get to try either dominance and submission or getting to have people be, that they get to be voyeurs and have that be arousing for them with people who love being exhibitionists consensually. That's a really great overview. Thank you very much for that, because I think that should provide a lot of clarity to people at home. You really explain it really well. I understand why your books are (laughs) well recommended. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what I loved about writing that book is that even though I wrote it a lot from being a more of a dominant male perspective, I've played all over the place, but my co-author is a submissive woman. And so it was really important for us so that you get the flip side of the, you know, you get to see both viewpoints in one book. And for guys who are dating at home, we don't always get to see what it's like to be in the other brain. And It's one of the really neat things I learned about negotiating for sex, whether you're doing it in these communities or whether you're doing it at home. That idea of sitting down and saying, authentically saying, what's hot for you? What would be fun for you? What if you never tried that you've always wanted to? So to take a step back in a new relationship, 
how would you bring this up? And so it would make it really practical for someone if, you know, this is something that they want to do when they're getting into a relationship. How would you say, like, what are the steps or when to do it? What to start the conversation with? These kind of practical details. Couple of different options. Some people like doing it through the see what their reaction is approach, which is to, if you're both into watching erotica, to get a kind of spicy porn, right? Like a piece of porn that has some somebody cuffed to a bed. Start on the lower level or the more introductory level, I should say. Not lower because that's neither better nor worse. It's another kind of hot play. See what people's reactions are. I uh, know some people who rented the copy of the movie The Secretary and see what they got turned on by. Like, oh. Oh, I remember that film. It's got... What's the name of the guy in that it's, uh, movie? It's Maggie Gyllenhaal. I remember her. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. But the, the guy's pretty famous too. I think he's in... Because um... he's now starring in The Blacklist. Right, there you um, go. Anyway, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, love it. <laughs> it's like... But um, they rented the movie The Secretary, and there's a scene where she incorrectly types up something, and the, the lead male ends up circling all the errors and then spanking her for each error. And apparently his girlfriend just started tightening up and leaning into him. And he went, oh, oh <laughs> that's information. Right. So that was his approach. That's a nice subtle thing. Like, you know, specifically renting movies, which have, there's quite a few movies like that. I think The Secretary is a very specific example. It's probably one of the more extreme ones, which are mainstream. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, but there's probably others which would be good choices too. Yeah, so movies are a fun one with an awareness that your sweetie might say, oh my God, that's so gross. To ask her, what did she find gross instead of assuming it's the whole movie? Because what she might have found gross was the idea that everybody else was mean to that couple. You don't know what she means until you ask her. And you won't know what she finds out unless you ask her. Another trick that I love when I'm early on dating people is what was the funnest type of hot sex you ever had? Or what was the craziest sex you ever had? Have one of those kind of truth or dare nights. And say, okay, what did you like? What did you have fun with? And suddenly you get a picture of, even if it's not what you consider kinky, you get to find out what your partner's into and honestly listen to it and say, oh, what really turned her on was the fact that they made out in the back of a car. You now know that that fear of that kind of sex in public, possibility of getting caught, whatever is hot. You can now go maybe out on a date to, for, to be those last people at the corn maze and making out in a corner at the corn maze and get that same thrill. That's still a little kinky. Yeah, that's a little spicy. So you get to find out. So those are the two of the tricks that I love starting with. Great, great. Some good examples there. Basically, you definitely have to start with building some trust and communication. Absolutely. We've covered this a lot in the past, like not being judgmental, these kind of things. Another thing that I've used in the past, you let me know what you think of this, is after having sex for the first, second time, is that start some kind of discussion afterwards because it's you're intimate, you're relaxed because you've, you've kind of, <laughs> the anxiety of having sex for the first time or the second time is kind of over and, you know, feel closer. So it's a kind of safer environment you're holding each other or whatever to kind of talk about some things and test the boundaries a little bit. In part of that, I love that trick. And I think that's a great thing to recommend. I encourage people to be careful of the language they use. Because once we've just had sex, I find, and there's studies on the notion of, of physical activity and altered states of consciousness. Because when you're at the end of a really hard workout at the gym, 
that's the moment when you're at the very end of it, when your coach comes over and says, okay, next time we're going to work on this and we're going to push to this because it hits the back of your brain in a way that wouldn't happen at the beginning of the session when all those chemicals aren't pushing in your brain. Sex does the same thing. So you got to be careful because you're in this receptive state. So I use questions like, what was the hottest thing for you? How can we make it even hotter? Instead of saying, what could I do better? Which in some ways encourages people to say, you didn't do this very well. And our brain records the ways we fucked up. Yeah. It's a difference between taking a positive versus a negative approach to it. Exactly. What did I do wrong? It's never a good idea to start a conversation like that. No. And so what I love is what can we do hotter? What was hot for you? What did you really like? And using those kinds of words so that we can get actually what we're looking for. Because what we want to know is how do we do it better? How can we have even more fun? What would you want to try next time? Another approach I've used, see what you think of this, you know, I'm just bouncing ideas off you here. I'll just talk about past experiences uh, in a very open manner. It depends on some girls I've been with aren't comfortable with talking about exes and, and things like that. But I like to establish that it's okay. So test the boundaries of that, start with and, and hopefully like develop that kind of conversation. And then just tell them about past experiences. Just talk about our past. Oh, like there was this time. It was kind of crazy because blah, 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 you know, whatever. And see how they react to that. And often I find that they'll start to open up and talk about their experiences because you've kind of let down this vulnerability and you're talking about some stuff that's sensitive to you. And so, yeah, I I can't remember any time that having gone gone wrong, actually. What do you think of that? It's interesting because I have had that go wrong once. And it was because it was a fresh breakup for them. And I didn't, I knew that they had an ex, but I didn't realize that for them, because I'm like, oh, it's been a couple of months. They're getting back on the horse. I'm glad they're having some fun. For them, three months, I didn't realize that they and that person had been together for like eight years. And so three months from them was still really fresh. And they ended up going into a really bad night because of it. And I didn't mean to. I was trying to be like, oh, what was the most fun you've had in your whatever? And they instantly went to the most fun they ever had, which was with this ex, et cetera. And so for me, um, I love that trick. What I loved was that in my explorations of hot sex, I'd been practicing being there for people because occasionally emotions come up and that's actually really good. We all have a chance to be emotional with our partners. These kinds of hot erotic plays is a great way to do that and build even more trust by being there for somebody if they do cry. A trick that I love, well, not trick, but a tool that I love doing is, uh, and and I got to to do this with a play partner once and it's like become part of my thing, is say, after everything is done, can you share with me some snapshots of those moments it was hot for you? Describe that, like, imagine that you were taking a picture for me with a camera. What was, like, share with me a moment. And I had this uh, this person I was playing with. It was actually three of us playing because we all want to kind of look in each other's eyes. And so there was this moment that uh, she said, oh, it was really hot when you were down on the bed and the other person was there and was touching you. And I got to stand back and tell them what to do because I felt like an orchestra director. And I was like, wow, I would never have known that she was turned on because I thought she was stepping back just to get water. But she actually was still having a really hot time, and I had no idea that that's what then had her come back with so much more enthusiasm. Next time, I now know what happened in that snapshot. And she learned that from actually having gone, and I've done this too, go with your lover 
on a with both with you with cameras on the same hiking trip or that same day at the museum or wandering around town. And at the end of the day, compare each other's photo rolls. What did each of you take photos of? You now have an insight into your lover's mind because my girlfriend of the time, she when I first did this, first tried this out, she took pictures of me and of um, of, of the people that we passed because we were out hiking in uh, Maui. And I took pictures of roots and the sky and the waterfalls. Like I was obsessed with the landscape and she was obsessed with the people. And then we both talked about what we found beautiful. We now had insights into each other's mind that informed us for the rest of our relationship because I found out she was really concerned about what other people thought about things and how people processed stuff. And I was more concerned about how is the room doing? What's the temperature? Is everybody's physicality okay? And we had a better relationship. Absolutely. Uh, awareness of each other. It's a great tip. I like the camera example there. That's, that's pretty unique. To move back into the world more of uh, BDSM, because, well, because it's in Fifty Shades, because basically it's everywhere. And I kind of want to like make sure that people get a correct idea, because I understand that there's things in Fifty Shades that the BDSM community is like, oh, that's not really, that's not a good way to portray it. Are there any specific things in, in that movie? I don't know if you've seen the movie or you read the books. I have read all three books and seen the movie. So yes, I am. I am versed. Great. So what kind of things would you say to people at home? Like say they've seen the movie or they've read some of the books as many people have now. The first thing that I would throw down that my girlfriend pointed out so succinctly to me is that the main thing about Fifty Shades, because Christian Grey, the main lead character, says, you don't want to be with me. Uh, I can't be with you because you're not kinky. And she says, oh, you now that you've whipped me and punished me, you can't. Why would you want to hurt me? The issue is not so much the physicality, because people like different kinds of physicality. Some people like extreme sports. Some people like playing video games. Different people like different stuff. The issue is actually that he's coming from to his sexuality from an unhealthy place. If you are whipping someone because you are angry and taking it out on them, look at what your reasons are. Why are you doing this? And it's because you actually want to be whipping your mother for abandoning you. That's something to take to a therapist. That's coming to your sexuality from an unhealthy place. And if somebody you're in relationship with is coming to sexuality from an unhealthy place like Christian Grey was, that's a reason to consider whether that relationship is healthy for you. It's not about the sex. It's not about the kinds of kink. And on the flip side, Anastasia Steele, the lead female character, is constantly and obsessively breaking the agreements that he has. He has, you know what, all I want is to you not to touch me without my consent. And I don't want to sleep with you right now until we've been in a longer relationship or if ever. I don't like falling asleep in the same bed with people. You find out in book two, it's because he has nightmares and accidentally lashes out. But he's not vulnerable enough yet to say that. And uh, sorry, spoiler alert for people who had <laughs> yeah, to say um, <laughs> um, He has limits and she constantly breaks limits. And if you're in a relationship with somebody who breaks limits, that's not about the kink either. That's not about the type of sex. That's about someone who doesn't listen to your limits and lines. That's somebody who won't respect you and your work and what you're doing. So the first thing I look for is, are you in a healthy relationship? That's what I see as a red flag in that. Are you doing this because you're trying to be manipulative? That's a red flag to look for. The next thing that I see in the movie is actually the flogging is pretty good in there, right? Like he runs it over her skin. He's very sensual. The tools are reasonable. The one that isn't the rope bondage, that 
tie he does where he twists the rope up and puts it on her wrist. You should do one extra twist. I have a book called Shibari You Can Use that talks about hands-on rope bondage that is exactly talks about how to do that stuff um, safely and with fun. So is that one style, when you say Shibari, is that one style of rope bonding and there's others? There's lots of different styles, yeah. But there's also free videos online that you can find how to do this stuff safer, at least. So the rope bondage, in the as far as the how-to, most of the stuff they're doing is pretty good. Whipping someone with a belt like that, belts are easy to trigger someone psychologically because hitting someone with a belt is often something that's used as a form of punishment by parents who are abusive. And so using a tool that you wouldn't have ever used, like Christian Gray did, like you wouldn't normally use a riding crop on someone if it wasn't in a sexual purpose or you're at a horse event. (laughs) I think they did that really well. The movies were very beautiful. Unfortunately, it's all played out. What's unhealthy in those books is the relationship. And it's unrealistic to have a contract of that sort for most people. There are some people who like that sort of thing, but it's a very, very small percentage. So I think that's the only the one thing I think that that contract did show really beautifully is negotiation, where he came with the list of everything he wanted. And then she said, "Ah, let's not do these things. That's not okay." It's a very extreme example. It's a pretty extreme example. But he even says early on, I am an extreme player. So for people who haven't seen the movie, he's got a contract. He wants her to sign and she has to read this five page or whatever contract and go away. In the real world, how do those sort of things get done? It's just a conversation. Yeah, most people in, in the larger world of kink, there's a couple different versions. One is that you meet someone, you're dating them, and it's like, hey, what are you into? Oh, well, I'm into this. Where do we cross over? I'm into rope bondage. My girl likes hot lingerie. What we end up doing is she wears hot lingerie, and I tie her up in pretty rope bondage over the hot lingerie, and she can wander around in my artwork at a party. We both win. She feels pretty. I feel controlling. We have both gotten our needs, wants, and desires met. So where are your overlaps in the Venn diagram? Other people fill out checklists and then email them to each other and go like, here's the things that I'm into. Here's the things you're into. Where do we cross over? Same idea. And if you don't understand what they crossed, what crossed over, you have a conversation about it. That sounds like online dating kind of style. It is. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. All the tools used for online dating, same things apply. Are there any big sites? Like, is there the Match.com or the OkCupid of Kink? And- there is, um, which is there's two of there's three different types of sites. The first type of site is those kinds of things where you fill out your checklists and you just look for other people who are cruising for sex, usually tonight, which are things like Alt.com. But the problem with Alt is just like any other hookup site, you don't know who these people are. People usually don't want conversations. They're just there to hook up. So it can be good, but you're also hooking up with a stranger. So you don't know if they're going to flip out on you, right? Those kinds of sites can be hot, but also dangerous. You don't know somebody's actual skill sets. The main one that's out there is called FetLife.com, if you are an English speaker. There's other ones um, that I list in Playing Well with Others for people who are in other countries. But uh, the main one is called FetLife, which is short for Fetish Life, FetLife.com. And you fill out a profile, but you can't search. You can't just type in searching for women in Georgia. You can't do that. It doesn't search that way. What you do is you type in Georgia, and there's all these groups that you join. 
where that you might find one that's called Singles in Georgia. And then you post a little profile, you see who the other members are. So it's more based on conversation and interests and regional discussions than it is in just quick searches looking for women between the ages of 25 and 45. It sounds like it's more like a normal forum where people are just discussing the topic and the dating kind of comes afterwards. So it's not like an online dating site where it's just like basically transactional. Hey, yeah, you look interesting. Let's meet kind of thing. You know, it's very straightforward. But the way you positioned it it sounds more like talking with people and potentially something develops from there, like social. If OkCupid and Facebook had a kinky baby is FetLife.com. Okay. So you create a profile like OkCupid just like it. You carry a profile, you share your interests, you put up some photos, but think twice before put up face photos because you're putting it on a profile that says, I'm kinky. So, and there's some places where that's not appropriate, some cities or some whatever, or you have jobs that might not be appropriate. So you put up these profiles so that when people see you on things, they go, oh, and go back effectively to your OkCupid profile. So does that, you're making friends like on Facebook. So you're commenting, you're, you're talking within, and then they can go and check out your profile and, and get more information if, if you said something interesting. So I guess is it like discussion forum that you're talking about interests in rope bondage or, or whatever, and then you say something interesting and someone's like, oh, that sounds like something I'm into, and they check out your profile. Yeah, that's exactly it. And one of the things that I'll do is find things that I'm interested, because if I type in rope bondage on a website like FetLife.com, I'll pull up literally a thousand groups because there's lots of different things people are into. And so what I do is when I find someone whose profile I find interesting, I'll look through their list of groups they're in and go, oh, what's this group? It looks like it has interesting discussions. I'll join that one. So it's a really interesting way to navigate because it is more based on the life, the community. And there are some people are on there who are just looking to date and have fun, meet somebody, never go out to an event at all. I also love those kinds of of online events because I can type in and it shows me events in my area. So I can type in Georgia and pull up, oh, there's here are all the upcoming events in Georgia that are happening. Oh, there's this big conference in Atlanta, right? I'm going to one in Atlanta in October called Sex Down South, which is part sexy event and part political activism. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to meeting people who are in those shared interests. But there's also things called munches, which are basically happy hours that are sober. Great. We've spoken about polyamory munches before. Is it exactly the same concept, just different topic? Exactly. Where you're getting together for coffee or food. The one up here in Alaska happens at a local coffee, a local coffee and chocolate shop. So you get a really nice muffin and you sit down with other people that you might have never met otherwise. And you might not meet somebody you're into, but they might have a friend who has a friend. So somebody will say, oh, where are you from? What are you into? Let's talk about what you're looking for. And they might say, oh, really? You like girls who like stockings. Well, I have this friend named Butterfly. <laughs> that sounds like the easiest first step. Like maybe to join Fit Life, put your profile up, look around, see what kind of things interest you, and then go to a munch where it seems like the friendliest kind of first step you could take. Absolutely. And something to be aware of, though, when you're creating a profile like this and it's, again, same thing happens with OkCupid, is be aware of what you want to put out there and what you don't. And also be buckled in for what you might see. Because on websites like that, you'll meet people who are brand new or all they're looking for is somebody who enjoys spanking or cross-dressing. 
And on the other end of the spectrum, you'll find people who like really extreme body stuff. You'll see stuff with blood, perhaps, as an example. And I'm not saying that a lot of people are into that because I think it's a very small subsection, but it's something you will see pictures of. So I encourage people to kind of emotionally be buckled in for a lot of different stuff that you might not be into, just so that you know you don't have to be into that. It's okay if you are, but you don't have to be into it, right? Not all kinky people are into that stuff. And that if you don't like something you see, just close that window and go somewhere else. Same thing happens at parties. You don't like what you see, turn around and go somewhere else. It's okay. That's a great point. I'd like to come back to the safety point when it comes to rope, like handcuffs, basically these kind of tools. I think a lot of people have experimented with like handcuffs because you have a lot of the lingerie shops and summers or whatever. These kind of places have some kind of handcuffs or you can just buy them out somewhere else. So I've experimented with them. Honestly, I found most of the time the girls get hurt because they're not soft around the insides. And if you're having sex or anything, then, you know, she's going to get pushed. Her wrists are going to get pushed in one way or the other. So my experiences haven't been that great with handcuffs today. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the first steps in the kind of bondage area, if someone's interested in it, because it seems like one of the more things done, I, would, would you say that's one of the more popular things? It is. Erotic restraint is really popular. Um, some people start with just pinning somebody's hands down in sex, right? You're in missionary style position and you hold someone's hands down while you're playing. That's a really common form of erotic restraint. And I think of it more as erotic restraint because a lot of people don't like bondage in general. Some people do. Some people like just being tied up and, and left there. But the bulk of people enjoy having to be sexy while they're in restraint. And so if you're starting out with stuff, things that are thin, you're going to have a, a thinner pressure distribution. So if you've ever seen girls who are wearing the super high stiletto heels, their feet are balanced on just like four square inches on their toes for an entire night. Their feet hurt. While if they're in flat tennis shoes the whole evening, their feet don't hurt. That kind of idea happens with the wrist. And so if I'm pulling against a, a handcuff, it's meant to hurt. It's a device for holding prisoners <laughs> held by the police, right? That's what it's built for. And so those are dangerous unless it's over heavy clothing. So if I have somebody that I've handcuffed over a sweater and then pulled their sweater up over their head, it hurts less. So that's a trick I've used. Or ones that are fur padded hurt a little less, but better than that for safety. I love using leather cuffs. You can find really nice padded leather cuffs. They're a little bit of a financial investment, but there are ones that are cheaper than that that are fabric. They're wide fabric or with a canvas strap in the center that have Velcro. And so they're quick and easy to get on and off. They're wider. They have a little more padding and they're easy to pull on. The handcuffs are also problematic because they get tighter and tighter unless you have real handcuffs that have a lock pin hole to them that can actually stop. You'll see that they're a real handcuff because they have a key on one end and a little pin on the other, like a little pokey bit on the other end of the cuff. And that lets you lock it so it doesn't get any tighter. Because I see people who like literally cut off circulation with that handcuff, not just cut in, but the girl's hands will go blue and they can't feel their hand for hours afterwards and they have marks for the next two weeks. Right. So circulation is one of the biggest safety hazards, it seems. Circulation is big, but even bigger is actually nerve pain. 
If you pull just on the inside of the wrist, there's even a spot on the inside of the arm between the bicep and the tricep that if you feel those spots, you get a shooting pain. If you impinge those spots, it'll actually cut off the nerve and you can stop functionality in the hand. I have a friend of mine, actually, somebody I adore dearly, who was tied up and she struggled too much and she was on an endorphin high. And so she didn't notice that she was hurting herself and the ropes had slipped. And she was pulling against that nerve spot and not noticing that she was hurting herself over and over and over again. She just wasn't paying attention. And she typed a lot. She ended up not being able to use her outside pinky and like her outside two fingers for months to get full nerve functioning back. And so circulation is important, but most of the time it comes back within a couple of hours. It's scary. It's dangerous. You can cause harm, but even more than that is nerves. And so bondage, it, people are like, oh, it's fun. It is fun, but it requires trust and communication for both partners. For the person who is doing the tying up, checking in with your partner. The trick I love, that I love doing with restraint, is that in the middle of sex or whenever I restrained somebody, I'll come up and I'll grab their hand and I'll squeeze with my fingers interlaced. And what I want my partner to do, and I'll tell them ahead of time, is anytime I grab your hand, grab me back. I want to know you're here. I want to know you're with me. And it's a chance to check in physically, but it's also a chance to check in emotionally because I've had some lovers who have gone quiet because they're kind of freaking out, but they're not using their safe word or their way to tap out. A safe word is a way to say, basically say, I'm at a point where we need to stop what we're doing. I'm not saying that you're a bad person. Maybe, maybe my, my foot has a cramp, right? Um, I've had girls I'm playing with, or when I've been the one, because some guys are the ones who like, I'd say actually for men, it's a 50-50 split, just like women, of who wants to get tied up and who likes doing the tying. Because sometimes it's a little fun to have somebody tie you up and ride on top of you, right? That can be really sexy. Having somebody who does go quiet, I had a, a lover squeeze my hand back and I'm like, whoa, she's not letting go. And so I slowly got off of her and I undid that wrist and undid the other wrist and then curled up next to her while still petting her breasts and and still feeling really present, holding my body against her. And she finally whispered over and said, I, that too much, too much. And later what I found out was that she just hit this physical point and she started toughing it out for me because her logic was, I'll just deal with it until he comes. I was keeping going because I thought she was having a hot time. So I was prolonging myself. That's interesting because we talk about the safe word. Obviously, this is something whenever you're getting into any of these, you, what you want to say for it. We haven't talked about it, but I think a lot of people know what a safe word is. You just pick some, whatever it is, carrot. Yeah. Um, if someone says the word carrot, then it's time to set out. And the reason you choose carrot is because some people like to say no, 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 please don't. Yeah. And things <laughs> like that. When it actually means yes. Um, I've actually had that experience. So beyond the safe word, you're saying that even the safe word isn't 100% fallible. You're saying that you have to do these other check-ins because sometimes people, maybe if you're more dominant as well, they want to please you, then they're going through something which isn't very pleasant for them. It's not going to be beneficial to your relationship or the sexual intercourse with you going forward. So are there any other checks like that people do? Is that something you kind of negotiate up front? Like you say, if I squeeze you, squeeze me back, or do you just kind of rely on the fact that that's what people tend to do if they're feeling okay? So it is a trust relationship because it takes both partners communicating. But some people do go nonverbal, both the top, the giving person, and the bottom, the receiving person. And as a note, not all tops are dominant. You might like 
tying up your lover because she wants it and she's telling you to do it. So you might be the service person who is doing it. So these combinations happen in different ways. So there's the physical ones, the squeezing and physically checking in. There's the verbal ones, sharing with each other verbally how you're doing. Those are the two ones that I stick by with anyone that I'm new with. I actually, in general, I encourage people to not go nonverbal. But the third one, when I'm first playing with them, but some people get into what gets referred to as a sub space, a submissive headspace. That is exactly that. They're trying to please you or they've zoned out. They're flying high. But there's a third one that I sometimes use for people who are especially more experienced, which is when you're really turned on, what does it look like? And I had a lover say to me, I love growling. I love being feral. And I'm like, that's good to know. And I had another lover say, when I'm really into it, I'll probably be crying because it's how I get my emotions out so I don't break down later in life. And I'm like, I'm glad I knew that ahead of time because I might have tapped out as a top seeing someone cry. And so finding out that crying was okay. So it strikes me, you just said something there about someone being in the zone. And it strikes me that a lot of this is about the emotional journey for people. They want to go through a big, and it can be pretty extreme emotions. They're basically like afraid to say anything, you know, because they're in such a deep emotional place that they're not not, not being responsive or 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 it could get out of hand, um, basically. So I just wanted to point that out because I I think most people can't relate to that kind of emotional extremity. But when you're putting people through these kind of situations, which are purposely creating this dynamic, I'm guessing you can see quite a range of emotions that we don't see every day. And people may not be used to that. Yeah. And there are some people who are into these things just for the adrenaline rush, just because they want the physical activity. They want to get hot and sweaty and sexy. And it's all about the physicality. For some people, what it's all about, though, is the emotionality, getting to play with these emotions. Some people like playing with fear and being scared. That one's really edgy because you have to have a lot of trust. I don't like doing it off the bat because, wow, you're asking me to scare you. I don't know if I want to do that in a relationship. And some people just say no, and that's okay. Some people want to cry and just get it out. And I know some guys who are like, I don't want to make you cry. Well, especially if you don't want to be the bad guy. I have a very dear friend of mine who the first time he had his girlfriend asked him to hit her, he was like, no, I will not be my father. I will not be the kind of man who hits a woman. Men don't do that. And it took her a lot of building of trust with him to say like, no, I'm not asking that. I promised here, just start out with just slapping my thigh. And he saw that she was moaning during it. He went, okay, this is different. She's not asking me to slap her across the face. She's asking me to drum. And once she reframed it as, I want to be your human drum, he went, okay, I can drum. Drumming's okay. But for her, she wanted to go on the emotion, the physical experience. But for guys who don't want to make a woman cry, it's okay to have that be like a, no, I don't want to play with you if that's where you're going to go. You're allowed to have limits as the top. That's perfectly fine. Some people will cry. Some people will scream. I'd say it's healthy to develop your, how would you say, tolerance and comfort with emotions. Because women especially are often emotional. They're naturally, biologically like that. 
And uh, so we encourage you guys to feel more okay with that rather than kind of freaking out just because she's crying. Well, you know what? Pre-1868, when the word homosexual was invented, men hung out with men and were far more emotional around men than we are nowadays, right? You see photos from the 1800s of like dudes draped over dudes all going out to the bar drinking and laughing and crying all over each other. And people go, oh, they were all queer and whatever. And I'm like, no. Those guys were just hanging out with other guys and weren't afraid to cry in front of only their guys and not their wives. Yeah. But we live in a culture where men aren't supposed to cry anymore, where we're now told by our fathers and whatever, man up, deal with your shit, men don't cry. And I think kink can also be, if you've established trust with a lover, a place to cry privately that no one has to see you, you don't have to be ashamed by, that there's an envelope where you know you can enter it into it in your full manhood you can cry in your full manhood and then leave in your full manhood because you know that your girlfriend there, she sees you as the man that you are. And she's not going to walk away from you because you cried in that scene. She's not going to walk away with you because you've established that trust. There are people that I know who, after they have hit someone, they're the one who needs to break down and cry and be held by their girlfriend. And that's okay, too, because this stuff brings up emotions. It's playing with the shadow. And so to me, I love having a girlfriend who will, after like I've done both bad things to her and good things to her, will still curl up downstairs watching The Voice or The Blacklist and be totally nerdy with each other, play a board game. And she'll be like, I love you. And we'll go back to seeing me as the guy that I am, that I'm not either the villain or the victim, that my internal brain tells me that I am. Because it's not, we're all carrying these shadows. And kink is a chance, once you've played with it for a while, to use it as a tool in your toolbox to look at your shadow in a safe space and then close it up knowing that you are not your shadow. Your shadow just happens to be part of that thing you're walking around with. Yeah, yeah, some great points there. We're talking in an extremely positive way. What's healthy you know, giving people good advice on, on how to do this in a healthy way. What I want to know is, though, if they go out to the BDSM community, they start getting involved in that, how many people are going to have these kind of values and these approaches and this kind of maturity? What are they really going to come across when they go in there? Are they going to have to, in a sense, like be wary of things and see what's going on? Because maybe it's just 10% or 5% of the community who like does all of this. And then there's like there's different ranges and there's probably extremes where they do none of it, as you said, maybe newbies who've just come in for it and are actually just interested in some dominant sex or something and haven't really thought about it at all. So I find that the BDSM and kink and whatnot communities are a cross-section. It's not a utopia. It's just like any other part of the world. You're going to have your drama queens. You're going to have that guy who knows it all and is an, he thinks he's an expert in everything. You're going to have the volunteeraholic who never actually has fun and complains about how much work they do, even though it's, they're the ones who chose to be there. Just like any community, you're going to have the cross-section. I would say that about 75% of people I run into are coming to this stuff from a really healthy place. They're having fun with it. They're enjoying it. They're happy to negotiate. They stick by what they're doing. Those 75%, totally good to go. 
the other 25% have some sort of baggage attached to them. And so I think it's actually a higher percentage of healthiness and awareness than the world at large, because I find it's about 50-50 in the world at large as far as rolling the dice on dating people that I run into, where it's just like, okay, about 50% are people that I would actually want to hang out with when I go on a blind speed dating kind of thing, if that. And so for me, 75% is a pretty good odds. The other 25%, you'll find the occasional control freak. You'll find the woman who you have that first date with, and then she gloms on to you like a limpet. You'll have that time when you meet somebody and you're like, whoa, there's a lot of stuff going on and I don't know what's happening, but they believe in things that I don't and I don't know what they're talking about. And so actually, it might even not be that high of a percentage. But as far as the dangerous people, people who are like, okay, they're into this just to hurt people, it's rare. But they do exist. You will find that occasional person who is just mean and manipulative and whatnot. They're rare, but they do exist, just like in the world at large. You do find that girl who will just get all the information and pull a basic instinct on you. They do exist, right? right. right? Just to bring up a situation that might be a bit more relevant to the guys, um, because they're normally the one who's getting aggressed by a girl. As an example, one of my first girlfriends, she wanted me to cut her wrists with our little razors and things like that. And I draw the line. I'm like, no, no, that's something I'm not going to do. Do you come across that sort of thing? Because for me, that's just like something that could involve legal problems. And you know, it's just not an area of life you want to get into beyond the fact that it's kind of freaky and it would freak most people out. There's obvious social implications for anything of, of that extent you get that kind of behavior from a lot of women or is, is how common is that kind of thing basically it's actual physical damage to someone full-blown bo- i would refer to that as body mortification or uh extreme self-injurious behavior is comparatively low are there people who engage in that kind of stuff yeah because there are people who find arousal from cutting Cutting someone's wrists is incredibly dangerous, period. That's how you kill people. That's kind of like the idea of of people who find erotic pleasure from hanging by a noose and experience that that sensation of um, asphyxia. That can be hot for some people, but you can also kill people. I personally am wary of anything that can lead to death because there are situations where dumb things happen. For example, there was a situation that happened in Italy where the actual main issue with this, in my opinion, was the drugs, but also the type of play where they decided, this is a warning, this is an extreme story, where a man picked up two girls he didn't know at a bar. They both had, they had all smoked pot and been drinking And they decided to do a scene, and there were two guys there, but one was just watching, where the rope top ended up tying up these two women, putting a noose around one neck, putting it over an overhead beam, and putting it on a noose on the other neck, so that the girls had to both stay on their tiptoes while being fondled. So the picture is kind of hot, but unfortunately, one of the girls passed out and killed both women. That's manslaughter. That's manslaughter. The guy has gone away, in my opinion, rightfully so. Both men, I think. And so it's that kind of behavior, combining drugs and alcohol, doing anything that involves potentialities of death. I 
actively ask people to consider what's your worst case scenario? Are you okay living with that? Are all partners okay living with that? Because I've had girls tell me, oh, I'm happy to have you do X, Y, and Z to me. And I'm like, I'm not okay as the person who would do it, just like yourself. If you die, I don't want to be the one living with that knowledge that I killed you. If you are that person, you are making your own choices. But I would choose and encourage people to really think about your ethics and morals there because that's, that's a choice. But I make the choice not to be that person per my ethics and morals. But it's a very, very small part of the population. Yeah, that's good to hear. I just want to make sure the guys are kind of aware of what kind of stuff might come up and where they might want to draw the line and say no. Um, I think it's an important boundary. Yeah, the bulk of the people that you'll meet are people who will be like, I am into X, Y, and Z things. What are you into? Where can we find a place where both of us get our needs, wants, and desires met? And I find that is the vast bulk of the people you'll run into. Excellent. So one other area, just quickly, because I know you're an expert in that, is the rope thing. The rope thing seems pretty complicated in terms of there's different styles. It takes a while to learn it, as I understand it as well, basically to avoid the things we were talking about earlier, cutting off circulation and the nerve damage kind of situations. It's a little bit tricky. So is that really something you should get trained in? Have you got any quick pointers on, on rope in general? Or maybe there's a style of rope that's better to start if someone's interested in that? So as I said, uh, or as I've, I've talked about, I do have a book called Shibari You Can Use, which is Japanese rope bondage and erotic macrame, which was a tongue-in-cheek reference, but I thought it was funny and it's worked. And it and its sequel are step-by-step of how to, I wanted to originally call it Rope Bondage for Dummies, but for dummies wouldn't actually take the book. So I just did it myself and got it published. And they both take it through a for dummies kind of level of stuff. How do you do it step-by-step? Because the bulk of it is how do you find the nerve bundles? Let's avoid them. Let's keep circulation safe. And here's a whole bunch of ways to make it quick and easy once you practice it. The really complex pictures you see out there are layers of the beginner stuff. So one of the things that I look at is you go, oh, somebody is tied down to a bed spread eagle, which means both of their wrists are tied out to the bed head and both of their wrists are tied out to the foot of the bed. That's what you want to do. Both of their ankles, right? Right, by their ankles. Yeah. What you're really looking to do then is to build four cuffs. Whether it's on a wrist or an ankle, a cuff is the same thing. And so what you do is you learn how to do a cuff You put the knots on the inside of the wrist so that when you, and have it be a little loose so it doesn't cut off circulation and so that when you pull on the cuff, it pulls away from the nerve bundles that are all on the inside of the wrist. You pull on that, you tie them down to the bed safely and securely to a bed that will actually take the stress (laughs) Um, instead of beds that you will destroy and hurt both of you in the middle of having sex, having had this happen once. Um, Don't destroy a bed, uh, especially when it's not yours. Anyway, that was embarrassing. But um, if you do that, you learn a couple of safe techniques. And what I first did when I was practicing is I literally, because I was obsessed with law and order at the time, because this was a decade ago, and I would sit there tying up my own ankle while watching Law and Order and no one else was around so that when I finally got in the bedroom, I wasn't fumbling and feeling stupid. And if you're brand new to stuff, the basic trick that I loved, and I was gifted this by my first plate partner, 
And I didn't know what they were doing until they told me later. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's what you were doing. Tricky is they blindfolded me. And anytime they, quote, messed up, right, they were like, I didn't tie that safely or I need to redo this. They just pulled on the ropes, slapped my ass a couple of times, played with my nipples, kissed me really hard and then undid it. And I was like, oh, they're just doing all this stuff to me. They're so forceful and sexy. And actually, they had messed up and they were fixing it so that they didn't hurt me. But I didn't need to know that as the person receiving. I didn't need to hear them say, oops. I didn't need to hear them say, oh, I messed up. They used it as an opportunity to play with me. I thought we were having a sexy time and they had a chance to make sure that I was safe and could then continue forward without worrying about me. And I thought that was so responsible of my partner. I felt really cared for. And so I was, have been able to pass that forward to all of my lovers since then is to be like, I want to care for you. As I am dominating you, let me also show that you can trust me. And so with rope bondage, a uh, basic chest harness is ropes below and above the breasts, some ropes over the shoulders, twisted in specific ways and tied off. And it looks really complicated at the beginning, but it's in my entire book, I think I have two and a half knots. That's it. Everything else is combinations. You don't have to learn lots of different stuff. It's about the mixing and matching and seeing, oh, once I have these things, how do I do new stuff with it? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you've explained it really well. And it sounds a lot less complicated than it looks. Because you're right, one of the last girls I was seeing, she would have these crazy photos where she went to specific dungeons and stuff and had this stuff done. And it, it, to me, it looked like, wow, that's just really complicated. And I, I don't know how I'm going to get involved in that because it just looks really, really over the top. And it's funny because you can get as into it as you want to. I know people that say, I love video games. And what they mean by that is they want to learn how to do computer coding and they want to inside, understand inside and out all of the Easter eggs and how to solve every level. And other people want to get in there, blow some stuff up to blow off some steam after work and they're done. That's it. They don't have to think about it. It's about showing up, using the thing and finishing it. And it's the same thing with rope bondage that some people want to learn all of the crazy macrame and learn how to do these complex different things. And other people, what they want to learn is how to do a quick basic wrist cuff and tie somebody down to the bed. And I have one person I used to play with. What they like to say is, if because like they have people that are just like, I think you're hot. Because they had a lover specifically that, that made me laugh about this, that was like, well, I can't do rope bondage. I, all I know how to do is tie you down to the bed. And she was just like, I don't care. Right. I like you and I want to be tied up. I know I do this fancy shit, but I want to, you're hot. I want to get tied up by you. Just tie me to a bed. We'll be fine. But it was his head Absolutely. that was messing him up. He was saying in his head, he was thinking, I'm not good enough for her. She has all this experience. Why would she want me? And the answer was, because she wants you. Because you're hot. You're sexy. And if a girl says, I want you, it doesn't matter who else she's been with. It doesn't matter if she's been with some porn star. She wants to be with you. She thinks you're nice. She thinks you're good. She thinks you're perfect for her. The rest of it's the stories in your head. Excellent points, Lee. 
So I want to round off. I'm appreciative of your time. So just to round off, what are the best ways for people to connect with you and learn more about your work? My website is passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, and soul.com. And if you type in passion and soul anywhere on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, live journal, I don't use my live journal anymore, but you see what I'm saying, like deviant art, I'm everywhere under that username, passion and soul. If you type in Lee Harrington, you'll find either me or a really lovely woman who writes books about dog walking. (laughs) She's lovely. We're friends on Facebook, but it's not me. So those are two really great ways to find me. And if you go to my website and scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll see a section called Stalking Made Easy, which has all of those links, including on FetLife. I'm under that same username. So feel free to find me on there. And I'm happy to help sort people in the direction that they need if they need some assistance. I teach all over the globe. I've taught in six countries and 40 states, and I'm going to eight more this fall. So if you go to my website, you'll see my upcoming appearances. And I also do one-on-one work with folks if people want to run by me what they're looking to do and get pointers personalized to them. I'm happy to talk through email or any of those other modalities I mentioned. Awesome. Great. Lots of options there. Is there anyone besides yourself that you recommend for high quality advice in this area? Absolutely. You've actually had one of them on already, which is Reed Mahalko. I think he's hilarious, fun, funny. One person was my co-author for Playing Well with Others, which was Melina Williams. And her website is Molina, M-O-L-L-E-N-A.com. An absolute hoot. Uh, Tristan Tormino has a great book on anal sex that I would recommend. And I got to be part of her anthology on The Ultimate Guide to Kink, which is a great book. I would highly recommend. And another person that I think is uh, really fun and funny and fantastic in this is, oh, and of course, this is when my brain uh, farts out for a second. Uh, Oh, nope. We'll start with those two because my brain is not pulling up the other ones. (laughs) But... But I have lots of recommended reading. If you go over to Passion and Soul and click on the shop options, you'll see some of the books that I recommend from other people and their names will be on there. Oh, the other person is a great guy named Gray Dancer, graydancer.com. And both he and I have podcasts. His talks about rope bondage, but he also does education on all kinds of other kink and sexuality. And as a guy who is now in his 50, uh, just turned 50, Uh, he has a really great perspective from having been kinky and polyamorous most of his life. Great perspectives. That guy is great. Excellent, Lee. Thank you so much for that. Okay, we ask everyone his last question. What are your top three recommendations to guys starting from scratch, really from new, and they really just want to improve their dating life as fast as possible? So kind of like baseline, what would be your top three recommendations for them? First, sit down and actually get to know yourself and what hamsters are you carrying around in your head? Because if you need to spend some time with you dealing with those, that stuff that says, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve women, et cetera, you got to work on that stuff first because you're going to end up projecting it on your dating life. Second thing that I recommend is go out and have open conversations where you listen to the women you're dating. A lot of us stop and start thinking, like, because a lot of us are already thinking about what am I going to say in response? Just shut up for a moment and listen to them. It's hard to do it first, 
but honestly listen and then even reflect back, oh, what I heard from you was to make sure that you're hearing them properly and learning their language because women and men don't always talk the same way. And the third thing I would recommend is sit down and once you're done with a date on your own notebook, write down the things that were great about them so that afterwards that you can go back if you've maybe gone for a couple of blind dates, you can sit down and go, oh, that's what was good about her. Instead of having date number three, mess up your memory of date number one. That's a really good point. I think, you know, especially in this world now that there's online dating, there's always ways to meet people and you can have like three dates in a week. If you haven't taken note or something, then you might have forgotten some of the important things. And like, I think it's kind of kind of weird, but like when we go on dates, it kind of like emotionally changes the perspective we have sometimes. So we can't really remember the how attracted was I to the, the girl last week. I can't really remember because I've been for a few experiences since then, especially if they were intense. Now I'm, I'm not sure how attracted and if it's worth following up. So that's a really great point. I like that. We haven't had any of those suggestions before. So thank you very much. Absolutely. I was glad to be on the show and thank you so much for having me on. Greatly. Hope to talk to you again sometime. Look forward to it. You take care. And everyone at home, take care. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at DatingSkillsReview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.